Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Merry Christmas. Are you all ready? If not, it's happening. doesn't matter. I got my lights up yesterday and uh, getting in the Christmas sphere. We had our first Christmas party and my wife's getting after me about two weeks ago. Said, if you order my Christmas presents, because that's how it works. I order the presents. We don't just go figure it out. Anyway, uh, I was like, it's not even Black Friday. Supply chain issues. I was like, man, I still hate COVID, whatever. But uh, I hope that you're ready for our Christmas, all the stuff that's going on. You heard about Christmas Eve services. We're going to have four of them. Get your tickets. They're free. Uh, You can do it right now. Pretend like you're praying. Get on your phone. Get some tickets and bring your neighbors. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to start our Christmas series called Illuminate. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, you can go and turn there. Genesis chapter 1. If you're new to church, today's your day. Page 1. It's awesome, right? Some people try to take credit at the beginning, skip that stuff, get right to the verses. Uh, If you're not new to church, you might be thinking to yourself, wait, this is a Christmas story. Pastor Scott, don't mess this up. There's a script. Luke 2, Matthew 2, those are your choices. We'll get there. Christmas Eve service, you come. (laughs) But Genesis chapter 1 right now, let me pray for us. Father, thank you just for the opportunity to open up your word. And uh, I pray you would open our hearts our minds, our eyes, help us to see this world the way that you see it. Help us to see other people the way you see them. Help us to see the Bible and what you want us to see in it. I pray as I speak, um, anything that I would say that would be a distraction from the truth you want people to hear, have me forget. And will you speak to hearts? And Father, I pray as we jump into the scriptures that you would just transform us in our world, transform our lives, our families, our hearts. Make us love what you love and hate what you hate. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> As we begin this series called Illuminate, I'm going to ask you a question that's going to require a little bit of transparency. But how many of you when you were kids, and some of you are kids, uh, but 12 and under, how many of you were afraid of the dark? Would you acknowledge that? People afraid of the dark? Ah, uh, kind of, but I'm like manly now. I see your hands. <clears throat> some of you in the back, like proud. I got you. Statistics say that 45% of kids 12 and under have a phobia, and one of the biggest, most common ones is a fear of the dark. I was thinking about that for myself, and I thought, was I afraid of the dark as a kid? And like some of you guys, I'm like, maybe once. But then I remembered, I grew up in Michigan, and uh, a lot of houses had basements, but they're not basements like North Carolina has basements. Y'all's basements are like the same as the rest of your house. Basements in Michigan, they smell moldy, and they have like a boiler in the back corner that talks to you when everybody else leaves the room. Kind of creepy. And I remember growing up, being down in the basement of my house, and the parents saying, Scott, time to come up. Well, the only switch to turn the lights off was in the basement. And dad didn't allow you to leave lights on in a room once you left the room. Anybody else have a dad like that? <laughs> Money doesn't grow on trees. We're not running an art museum. Like whatever you heard at that point. But studies have shown the number one cause of men becoming grumpy old men is excessive electricity use. It, it's true, it's true. Well, guys are clapping, yes. <clears throat> so, you know, they'd say, well, I wasn't always afraid of my dad. I turned the lights off, and then all of a sudden in my mind, when I went up those stairs, they had a gap in between the stairs. A monster's arm was going to grab my leg. So I was like, it was like two times, I touched like two steps, like vertical, amazing. 
fastest you've ever seen an eight-year-old move. <laughs> but as adults, we know that's not real. There's not a monster in the basement. Uh, remember the stat on kids, 45% of phobia. One of the biggest is the dark. So maybe 30, 35% of kids. I read one survey that said 50% of adults are afraid of the dark. So more adults? It's not the dark that we're scared of. It's the dangers that lurk in the dark. And kind of like when I was talking about, you know, all of a sudden, once the lights go off, I think there might be a monster. Have you ever been swimming in the ocean and you're doing fine until your buddy says, you know, sharks, and all of a sudden they're like swarming around your leg and your mind, you can't see them. Something happens in that. Let me ask you a question as we get started today. The question is, how long do you think you could last in a room of total darkness? We won't go totally dark in here today. And before you answer the question, I just want to share with you, scientists have come up with this. This isn't me making stuff up. That most people, the majority of people, when you're in total darkness, and I'm talking like you can't see your hand in front of your face darkness, it only takes a few hours before you begin to hallucinate. And some people, when they hallucinate, they not only see things, they feel things. Especially if you're used to a lot of stimulation. You know, you're on your phone a lot or whatever, that gets taken away. And so what happens is your brain fills in the gaps, and the slightest thing that you see, all of a sudden you start to see things. So how long, how long do you think you could last? Uh, we know that people, when they are in total darkness for a little while, when they come out, oftentimes they're disoriented. Even in the light, they lose a sense of direction. Some people, it, it magnifies mental illness or can even sometimes cause some mental illnesses. How long do you think you could last? And I don't know if you've ever talked to gamblers, poker players, things like that. We've had one professional poker player that's attended our church some. And, and just thinking about what it's like in that world. And I know many of you are not familiar with that, but <clears throat> it's been said that poker players don't just bet on poker, they'll bet on anything. And there's one famous story of two famous poker players. One's last name is Younger, if you want to look it up. And the other guy, and this is the one that makes it the most famous, is a guy named Rich Alati. And they were playing poker at the Bellagio. Between hands, they did what they call a prop bet. Younger would oftentimes ask people, how long do you think you can last in the dark, alone, no human contact, no radio, no cell phone, and people overestimate their ability. I don't know what your number was, but he said that a lot of people think around 20 days. Alati responded, 30 days, to which Younger said back, how much? <laughs> how much would it cost for you to spend 30 days in total darkness? And so I just proposed the question to you. How much? How much would that cost you? Go ahead. Tell me. Million. A million. All right, we've got a million in the back. I'm not going to take that one. Anybody else? <laughs> Anybody for a dollar? Anybody a dollar? Yeah. Two million. You're going higher. No, no, no. <laughs> Five million. A hundred dollars. Somebody, a hundred thousand. I don't know. Rich Alati said 50,000 to 100,000. Within an hour, Younger was working up the details of the plan to get him to go into that room. Long story short, he ended up in that room. And Younger didn't take into account that Alati was more of a contemplative person than he thought. He thought because he was boisterous and gregarious that uh, he was not a real reflective person. And he did yoga and things along those lines. At about day 12, Younger became nervous that he was actually going to make it. So on day 14, he spoke to him. Now, he has had human contact for 14 days, and all of a sudden, this voice comes into his room. Hey, $50,000 if you leave right now. I'd be like, out, I'm done. But he said no. Long story short, they negotiated. On day 20, he left. He received $62,400. 
We don't know if he could have gone 30 days. In fact, you don't, I mean, they got poker faces, right? They're professional poker players. But a lot he did say that three days in, how does he know it's three days in? He said three days in, he began to hallucinate. Saw bubbles filling the room and the sky. He's in a room. He didn't see the sky. (laughs) And so the question I want to ask you today is this. Should we be afraid of the dark? Like, think about that as not only do we know the mental effects that darkness can have, and not only do we know the physical dangers that can lurk in the dark, there's people are more apt to lie in the dark. We make more mistakes in the dark. There's more violent and dangerous crimes happen in the dark. We know those things. But as followers of Christ, we also know the Bible talks about a spiritual darkness. And it doesn't say good things about it. So I want to ask you the question, should you be afraid of the dark? If you got your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And if you're wondering, like, why Genesis chapter 1 is a Christmas series, uh, the Christmas story is a story of light breaking into darkness, of at just the right time. In fact, Galatians chapter 4 says it like this. This is the New Living Translation. But when the time came, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. That's Jesus. When you read the beginning of the Gospels that talk about, the three that talk about his life as a baby, as a child, you see light coming into darkness. In John chapter 1, it says this, the true light, talking about Jesus, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Why? Why? John chapter 3 tells us, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. It does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. What you end up finding out in the Bible is that we as humans are far more afraid of the light than we are of the dark. In fact, we run to the darkness. We like the darkness. In the darkness, we can create our own narrative. In the light, the truth comes out. And and, what will happen is you'll come to the Christmas Eve service. And on the Christmas Eve service, I will read the traditional passage, Luke chapter 2. But if you read Luke chapter 2 and what happens, there's shepherds out in a field. There aren't city lights everywhere. It's dark. And the glory of the Lord, so God who is in essence light. He doesn't say that about every characteristic he has. He doesn't say he's in essence wrath. The Bible says God is love. God is light. The God who is light, who the Psalms tell us he wraps himself in light as a garment. Timothy tells us he dwells in unapproachable light. His glory breaks into creation to announce the birth of his son. And the glory of the Lord shone not just up in the sky like you may have seen on some Christmas special. Luke chapter 2 says it encompassed the shepherds and they were terrified. You think? Like sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, eh, angel shows up, next page. Like it just happened. And it just happened. The glory of the Lord shone all around them. And the angels declared, it's light breaking into darkness. Matthew chapter 2, the wise men led to the child Jesus by a light in the sky, a star. So Genesis chapter 1 gives us the first glimpse of the Christmas story. If you've got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, We'll look at uh, verses 1 through 5 today. In the beginning, so this is where it all began. In the beginning, God created, so God already was. He's going to make some stuff, the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. 
So here's our context. The darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit is present, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. All he did was speak, and there was light. There's power in God's word, amen? Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, there's a lot we could say jumping into Genesis chapter 1. A lot of times what happens when you look at Genesis chapter 1 in our day and age, most preachers, when they talk about it, will talk about, is it a literal seven days of creation? And so on one side, you'll get the Bible scholars, they'll be like, the Hebrew word yom means 24 hours in every other context, so it it must be a 24-hour day, and then you get the science crew, and some of you are in both. And so how do you do this? Because you go, the speed of light, and we know, and then dating and aging, and so this wouldn't be possible, but maybe it's just poetry, and, and we get in this debate about this, and what many of us never even talk about is the sun and the moon aren't even here yet. There's just light. Have you thought about that? How can we have a solar day if there's not sun and moon, solar system? <laughs> And what you see in the Bible is from the beginning and the end, there's this theme of light. And at the beginning, there's light without a sun and moon. And at the end, there's light. There's no need for a lamp, no need for sun, no need for moon. It's the glory of God breaking in. And so we're not going to get into that today. (laughs) We could talk about how in Genesis chapter 1, even if you're not a Christian, it's incredible literature. Like the unity that's here. We can talk about Hebrew scholars. We'll talk about the perfection that's taking place in this. And the number seven, there's seven days of creation. And then counting letters and counting words and multiplicities of. And it's amazing. We could look at, have you ever thought about just the the pattern of the days? It's formless and void, which means there's chaos. The picture of darkness and water in the Bible is a picture of chaos. But then God brings control in the midst of chaos. Because he forms, day one, there's light. And then in perfect parallelism... On day four, the sun and the moon. He forms and then he fills. On day two, (laughs) there's the skies and the waters. On day five, birds and fish. Forms, fills. Day three, the land. Day six, plants, animals. Which one's food? We can debate that. I was vegetarian for a season in my life, and my friends would tell me, my carnivorous friends, my food eats your food. So there's plants for food, and there's animals, and there's the pinnacle of creation. In his own image, God creates mankind. And then the seventh day, have you noticed how the seventh day is different? It doesn't end, and there was evening, and there was morning. Because we're still in God's Sabbath rest. That's why Hebrews 4.11 talks about strive to enter his rest. There's so much here we could talk about. Here's what I want you to know, especially if you're a regular attender of our church, that any sermon I give you is just crumbs that lead you to a feast. You've got to study the Bible on your own. And so what I'm giving you, it's like if you like Mexican food, this is the chips and salsa. At our house, we debate, what's better, Moe's or Chipotle? I'm like, Chipotle, you got to buy chips. What a scam. <laughs> so I can't even get to the conversation of which has got better chicken. Like, it's just like, no, I'm not buying the chips. Give me the chips. 
And so you're getting the chips and salsa. Hopefully it'll lead you to the feast. All we're going to hone in on today in Genesis chapter 1 is this Christmas theme jumping out of the text of light, the glory of God, shining into darkness, chaos, formlessness. And the message is real simple. There's two points. There's good news and bad news. What do you want first, good news or bad news? Bad news, just like the first service. You guys are such downers. Give me the bad news. Get it over with. All right, bad news is about darkness. So the first point will be about darkness. Here's the deal with darkness. Beware of the darkness because darkness is dangerous. Remember the question we're asking ourselves, so should I be afraid of the dark? Beware of the darkness because darkness is dangerous. This is a warning point. It's like in my car, every once in a while, a light will come on on the dashboard. I know how to fix it. Duct tape. You don't even see the light. The other day, I, I was up here. I was during the week, and I parked behind the church. Behind the church, it's not a hill, but there's a slope. And I don't usually use my parking brake, but I put my parking brake on. And then I went to drive away, and my car's, like, making noise. Like, lights are coming on. I don't know what any of those symbols mean. So I just keep driving, and then it starts beeping. And I'm like, I've got my seatbelt on. Just calm down. But then I realized I have my brakes on. Yeah, driving with your brakes, not good. What's happening in this passage of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, is going, hey, warning, warning, darkness is dangerous. God declares the light good, implied is darkness bad. Go to the setting with me. Before we jump into, he spoke this light into existence. You look and you see... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first thing, before he's going to give life, he brings light. The earth was without form and void, though. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And so you've got these three words, without form or formless, void, and darkness. Formless is a picture of chaos, of disorder. Void is a picture like in the desert. There's an emptiness. But what is this Darkness. Uh, one Bible commentator, I'll put a quote up on the screen. He says this, and what you end up realizing as you study through the scriptures, and I, I told you at the beginning, light without the sun, without the moon. At the end, light without the sun, without the moon. In between, there's about 200 images of both darkness and light, and they're always a contrast to each other. Listen to this quote. It's from Word Biblical Commentary. The Bible commentator, his name's on the screen. If you want to take a picture to get these verses, feel free to do so. It says, if light symbolizes God, darkness evokes everything that is anti-God. Darkness is dangerous. It says the wicked, gives a verse, judgment, death. And what you end up seeing is there's fi- it's very rich. Light symbolizes life, darkness, death. Light, good, darkness, evil. Light, truth, darkness, deception. Light, God's kingdom, darkness, the demonic. Light, the way to real life, darkness, groping, emptiness, lostness. These are the images you get throughout the Bible. In fact, when Jesus talks about darkness, he's describing hell. Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So darkness is not good. But there's another theme that we see in the Bible. And we see it here in this Genesis account, and then it keeps going all throughout the Bible. That God brings his light, but then we run from the light. Another way to say it is this. God illuminates, but we isolate. 
You see it in the Genesis account because in Genesis chapter one, the very first thing God creates is light, forms, and then he's gonna fill, forms, fills, forms, fills, everything's good. It's not good for man to be alone. If you wanna know if God does miracles, he creates a woman and a man, they live in perfect harmony and they are together. It's possible. (laughs) And everybody here who's married is smart enough not to say amen. But it gets bad in Genesis chapter 3 because God created marriage. Genesis chapter 2, one man, one woman, covenant relationship with each other throughout their lives, picture of relationship with God. They were naked. They felt no shame. Then Genesis chapter 3 happens. What happens in Genesis chapter 3 is Satan comes on the scene. And Satan does what Satan does. In fact, he does the same thing with Jesus in the garden or uh, in the desert that he does here in the garden is he doesn't give a blatant lie. He gives enough truth for you to buy into it, but doesn't tell the whole story. And so he says to Adam and Eve, you'll know good from evil. That's true. What he doesn't say is the important part. And then you'll be separated from God. And so they take the fruit, they eat, and what do they do? They hide. Who are they hiding from? God? (laughs) Each other, themselves, like, but what happens is God illuminates. He gave truth. We isolate. You say, well, yeah, we wouldn't do that now. Uh, John chapter 1, light came into the world, the light of life. Men didn't receive it. Why? Because they loved darkness. John chapter 3, verse 20, because light exposes the truth, our sin. So we run to darkness. God illuminates We isolate. Here's what we need to know about that. Darkness is dangerous, but it's unavoidable. And why is that? Well, I'll give you at least four reasons today. Uh, First one is this, because we live in a dark world. If you don't believe that's true, uh, and maybe you're not even a Christian, just read the news headlines. You will agree this is not how things should be. And you might disagree on the solution. Maybe you think it's about an election or a structure or a system or educating people or getting your portfolio right or if I just had everything okay in my life, then things... Let me just read you headlines. I didn't even read all these news stories. You don't even have to read the stories to know this stuff. So WRAL, local stories. They found a 450-pound sunfish this week. (laughs) Yeah, that's evidence of the fall. That's not good. You want to swim with that thing? No. Okay. So Durham couple that was on a cruise ship. So you'd think it's like this is like paradise. They were hit with a wall of water. One person died. Four people were injured. There were sex crimes against children that I couldn't even read you the headlines because we have kids in here. So I went to like more national news. So I went to a couple other different sources and just grabbed headlines. So we didn't just have like one agenda. Once you get past the Kardashians and who they're dating, apparently Pete Davidson's back in the picture and they're taking it slow according to headlines. The royal family, what are they doing? They were getting booed at the Boston Celtics game, but they took it in jest. Who knows? There's a Netflix thing happening too, but whatever. There's a guy that was released from prison for a crime he didn't commit. Sounds like good news, but he had been in prison for 43 years. That's not good news. There was a five-year-old that was fatally shot by a teen who was making a social media video. There were three people shot and killed at the Durham Mall. Stock prices are soaring for the makers of vaccines. Globally, eight people were dead, 13 people killed in a bombing at a school near Somalia. India's air is so bad, people are dying from just breathing the air. 
Uh, 19 people were killed in a bus crash in Mexico. 46 school shootings have taken place in America this year. 29 students have been killed. Seven school employees, 95 people injured. In our own city, remember, there was a halting when there was a shooting on the Greenway. You know things are not the way they're supposed to be when you see a little kid that's representing their dance community uh, get hit by a car. Uh, some of you are close to that family. My heart goes out to them. The world is dark. Unless you think, when I talk about school shootings and things like that, that gun laws are going to fix the problem, don't forget the most popular story on national news right now is the stabbing of four college students, and no one knows who did it. I watched one interview. I haven't followed all the details of that story, but I watched one interview, and there was a college student at that college campus that said, well, the police being here all the time just reminds us there's a, there's a murderer on the loose. Well, did you know that the majority of murders in America don't get solved? Though you might not believe in demons and Satan and Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it says we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against darkness. But you know there's evil out there. We live in a dark world. The Bible, in fact, describes when it talks about coming to faith in Christ and receiving the light of life, Jesus Christ himself, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, the light and life, because it's the notice in creation, light before the life forms and fills. He's the light of the world. And what he's rescuing you from is a kingdom of darkness. Colossians, in fact, says it like this. I'll put the verse up on the screen, but Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Oh, that's great. And then Gallup says there's this many Christians. Nope. Because Jesus says the road is narrow and those who choose it are few. And that's why we see the evidence of that in this world because we live in a dark world. That's one reason. The darkness is unavoidable. It's dangerous, though. And one of the ways it's dangerous, we oftentimes don't want to talk about in church, is that there are, there's darkness in us, in us. Even you as a follower of Christ, there is darkness in you. And you wouldn't know that because listen to a lot of testimonies. Like you listen to people tell their story, and whether they became a Christian really young or they became a Christian older, they, if they became a Christian older in life, it's like this difficult stuff happened, whether it was like I had cancer or I was selling drugs or like whatever the thing was, then Jesus, boom, and now it's the light. End of story. Da, 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 da. Trust Jesus and everything will be good. And if you were, you know, I came to Christ when I was 10, baptized, but then I just kind of wasn't my own faith and I wanted, and I came back and now, boom, but now I'm with Jesus. Um, but what about the darkness that's still in you? Is that true? The Apostle Paul said it was true of himself. So unless you've grown beyond, if you've grown beyond the Apostle Paul, please go to First Steps today. I really want to meet you. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 talks about a battle, and a lot of times when we talk about that passage as Christians, we talk about it like, well, yeah, but God lives in me, and then there's this stuff out there that I battle with since crouching at my door, like outside the door. Uh, listen to what he says in Romans chapter 7. Not my words, Romans chapter 7, verse 21. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this, so I find, it, I find to be, it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. How close? For I delight in the law of God. Okay, so you do have a desire for good, in my inner being. Okay, so that's inside you. The desire to do what is right, that's in you. But, keep reading. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. Wait, the mind's inside of you, making me captive to the law of sin. Wait, where's that? It dwells in my members. 
wretched man that I am? Who will deliver me from this body? How many of you have seen the, the TV show Lost? Did you acknowledge that? See that show? All right. That just helps me know. I don't have to describe it a ton. Uh, about, I think it was like 15 or 20 years ago. I can't remember how long ago the show came out. It went forever. I don't know what happened in that show. But <clears throat> there's a plane that crashed. People on this island. Some weird stuff's happening. But they're learning about the island and about themselves. And there's this smoke cloud on the island. Y'all have seen it? You remember that? And I'm not going to say what it meant because then you're going to email me how I'm wrong. Because if you look, there's like blogs and blogs about what It's like the incarnation of evil, some people said. It's like protection of the island. But it's dark. And when it comes on, it's scary. There's one scene where one of the main characters, I believe the guy's name was Echo, comes to face-to-face with that cloud. And that's what some of you are doing in your life as you come face-to-face with the fact that you are dangerous and you can do bad things but then you come to a Christian environment and you don't know if you can talk about that because everybody else is sharing testimonies that once they came to Jesus, it was all light. Darkness is unavoidable. You live in a dark world and inside your world, there is darkness. And many of us, if you walk with Jesus for any period of time, go through what's called a dark night of the soul. Maybe you get a cancer diagnosis. Maybe you get betrayed by somebody. Maybe a business deal goes wrong. Maybe your spouse leaves you. Maybe you lose a baby. Maybe you just start to read the Bible and it's like God's not speaking to you anymore. Things feel dry and there's doubt or difficulty and you're just in this season. We all go through that. Let me tell you something. You're not alone. Charles Spurgeon, famous Baptist pastor, used to teach his students to be aware of of the signs of the dark night of the soul and when we're vulnerable. He says, after success, you're vulnerable to a dark night of the soul, but also after failure. When you've done a lot of heart work, when you've done a lot of mind work, when you've wrestled with truth of the Bible, when things start to become your own, when you're physically exhausted, and he said, but then sometimes it happens for seemingly no reason at all. And I want to read you a quote by Charles Spurgeon, and then I want you to ask yourself, how, how could he even know that? Because you don't just read that in a book. He says, you may be surrounded with all the comforts of life and yet be in the most wretchedest, more gloomy in, than death in the spirits are depressed. You're depressed. He knew depression because he knew it himself. You may have no outward cause, whatever, for sorrow and yet in the mind is dejected. The brightest sunshine will not relieve your gloom. Charles Spurgeon, we talk about him as a hero of the faith. He knows the dark night of the soul. You're not alone. And you can read about John Calvin, Martin Luther, C.S. Lewis, these people that oftentimes we go to for these nuggets of truth that will help us in those moments. They've been there. And you don't even have to go to them. You can read your Bible. Moses, Moses was overwhelmed with other people's sin. Most of us are so self-absorbed, we can't even think about that. Unless we're mad at them, we're about to cancel them. (laughs) Jeremiah, the prophet, felt like a failure. Lonely, no friends, dejected, defeated. He's called the weeping prophet. We've got a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. And the only verse I've ever seen Christians quote is the one positive verse in the whole book. God's mercies are new. Read the surrounding of that. It's like awful. So you got Jeremiah, you got Elijah has an incredible victory over the prophets of Baal. And then he's burned out, chapter 19. He's given it everything he has. 
It's too much. The Apostle Paul, we despaired of life itself. David, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139. God knows us perfectly. He's all powerful. But you get to verse 11. Have you ever read verse 11? Psalm 139 and verse 11. You're in a dark night of the soul. This describes it. If I say the darkness shall cover me and the light, underline that, the light about me, even in the light, in the brightest moments, this is what Spurgeon's talking about, it would be night. How would David know that? Because he knows what it's like to be out in the field with shepherds, sheep. I talked to you about fighting lions and fighting bears, but it's dark out there. Ain't no city lights. And there's danger. He knows what it's like to have the king want to kill him and be hiding in a cave. It's dark in there. You know what's really dark? When you're hiding in your sin. And David knows that too. And so even when the light comes, it's like night. Even Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows your darkness, if you know a dark night of the soul. But I love verse 12 in Psalm 139, because it talks about who God is. There's no darkness in him. He is light. And the light overcomes the darkness, if you read the Bible. Psalm 139 and verse 12, verse 11 says, if I say the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Okay, even when light is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day. For darkness is as light with you, God. See, darkness, it's unavoidable. And you know why it's dangerous? Because darkness is where sin's at. The darkest and most dangerous part of darkness is sin. And Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. First John talks about if we claim to be in fellowship with God, but walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves. But it also says if we claim that we don't have any sin, we're liars. Oh, man. And then we see what happens with sin. John chapter 1, John chapter 3, we isolate. God illuminates. We isolate. Genesis chapter 1, God illuminates. Genesis chapter 3, we isolate. Isolation's dangerous. I have one friend, he's a soccer coach. He was teaching his girls' team uh, how to attack the opposing team. And the analogy he used was how lions attack their prey. And I don't know if you know much about this or how much time you spend, you know, you can't find anything to watch on Netflix. You go to National Geographic's channel and you start watching animals killing each other. Um, Am I the only weird one? Anyway, I was watching this episode of National Geographic's and it said in the episode that the lion is the only predator in the cat family that knows how to hunt as a team. And it's actually the female lions that hunt. The lionesses go out in a team, usually a four, And what's really interesting to me is the four always play the same position. (laughs) There'll be two that'll come up on the side of the prey. They flank it. And there'll be one that'll stay in the back. That's going to be the attacker. And there's one that will run distraction up in the front. And the episode I was watching, they were trying to kill a water buffalo. Water buffalo can be as big as six times the size of a lion. It's about 1,500 pounds. They wound lions more often than any other animal. They've got these huge horns on them. And the commentator, the narrator, wasn't Morgan Freeman, unfortunately, but the narrator on the show said the key is they have to strategically, they're very precise on how they attack. The cheetahs try, like all this stuff, they can't do it. They can't figure it out because they're not strategic enough. The strategy is you've got to get them away from the herd. 
in isolation. And what we see in the Bible is God illuminates, we isolate, isolation's dangerous. What does the Bible say about relationships with each other? We're isolating ourselves from Him. There is no darkness in Him, but we don't want to be exposed, and we want to hold on to our sin. We've got these secret parts, but He's offering freedom, and He's offering light, because everything the darkness is, the light is the opposite. So here's the good news of the message. We've got to turn to the light. There's life in the light. You've got to turn to the light. And so God spoke in the beginning. It's formless and void. It's empty and chaotic. You're in a dark night of the soul. In the Bible, darkness and water are pictures of chaos. And what you see when you see darkness and water is God come in and show, I'm even in control of your chaos. Whether it's Jesus in a boat in the Gospels, be quiet, wind. Be quiet, waves. Or... It's God the Father in creation when the world's formless and void and his glory breaks in. It's not a big effort. He speaks, let there be light. And boom, it's illuminated. No sun, no moon, light. And what is the light? Well, everything we just said about darkness, we can just say the opposite about light. And so we live in a dark world. That's true. But did you know this world is not our home, follower of Christ? If you've been rescued, like we talked about Colossians chapter 1, rescued from the kingdom of darkness, you are, we're going to talk about this more next week, you are the light of the world. There's a light in you. So should you be afraid of the dark? Well, let me tell you something. He who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. Amen? You should be aware of the danger of the darkness. You don't need to fear God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. The light lives in you. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I can't believe I didn't put this in this series to preach 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6 says this, for God, so I'll just quote it every week, all right? For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, we've heard that before, it's in the beginning, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the Christmas story. So you live in a dark world, yep, but you don't belong to this world. You're a foreigner here. You're an ambassador of light here. You have a different world. The problem is this world's upside down, but we think it's right side up because when you live in abnormal long enough, abnormal becomes normal. You were meant to live in perfect harmony, not just with your spouse, not just with all of creation, with God. And then that's made possible again as a new creation. Your life is empty. If you don't know Christ, it is empty. It is void. And you can try to control everything else. You can try to fix things. You can build your portfolio. You can get the right person elected. You can get a better education system. Everybody can be fed. Everybody can have clean water. And you will be empty. Formless, chaotic. You want to control? You can't. It's a myth. Only God controls the chaos. You need Him. And He comes and He fills that void in you. And He is the light in you and turns your life right side up. And then you begin to see the world around you is not the way that it should be. And there is another world that you anticipate. But while you're here, you're the ambassador to this place. So when you read the news headlines this next week, this Christmas, in January, when you got to pay off your debt and people are sick because you had snotty kids running around your house all day, like all that, and you're starting to feel down, be encouraged. Because the darker the world gets, the lighter your light shines. 
And so we can say, that. just take the opposite, dark world, there's a darkness within, yeah, but there's a light within if you're a follower of Christ. And the light it's freedom, it's truth. And so you're in a dark night of the soul. I'm not gonna rush you out of that. God does some great work in the darkness. But the answer is him. He's the one, who, darkness, deception, death, depression, doubt, light, freedom. Sin is the da- most dangerous darkness. Light, forgiveness, life. Everything bad about the darkness we could say the opposite good about the light. That's why we could go either direction in this message. We could pick either one. It's the same message. Either way, it's just which one do we focus on? And what happens is when you focus on the darkness, even in it gets, when it gets really dark, there's always a glimmer of light. No matter how dark it gets, what you see in the Bible is that God does some of his greatest work in your darkest days. God does some of his greatest work in your darkest days. How many people here would say, you know, I had my most, the best spiritual growth in my life ever was when I was getting all A's and perfect attendance and super healthy and everything was great. (laughs) I have not heard that testimony yet. Somebody probably has it. They always drink out of a mug with a verse on it too, but whatever. But then there's like the rest of us are like, man, life sucks. God's good. Sometimes I question that. But he always comes through. Let me keep walking with him. And then he grows you in that process. Mm. And then you look at the Bible, and that's exactly what you see. And we don't have time to walk through the whole Bible, but I told you the fall, Genesis chapter 3, uh, we call that sometimes the fall chapter or the curse chapter. Notice in the chapter, God doesn't curse man and woman. He curses the land. He curses the serpent, Satan. And we live in a world that's broken because of that. And so, you know, have you seen those stickers at the gas station? Like, thanks, Biden. You know, the gas prices are super high. <laughs> Somebody's sticking on. JP, I see you sticking on my Bible after the service. Anyway. <clears throat> we need, like, stickers like, thanks, Adam. Look what you did. When your email crashes right after you spent a bunch of time writing it, thanks, Adam. Because <laughs> part of the curse is you're going to work. There's frustration in your work. Can you imagine, like, in heaven? We're going to work in heaven. There was work before the fall. There's not going to be frustration in the work. Can you even imagine what that's like? Next time you send a text accidentally to your boss, complaining about your boss, and you're supposed to send it to a coworker. Thanks, Adam. That won't happen in heaven. <laughs> but even in the midst of that, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is what some people call the proto-evangelicum. It's the pre-gospel. It's the gospel before we get to the Christmas story. The Christmas story is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. When God's cursing Satan, he says to him, there's going to constantly be enmity between you and mankind. But I'm going to send, I'm going to send a special seed. The birth of Jesus is being prophesied there. And he's going to crush your head. And you're going to wound his heel. That's the picture of this. That's what happens. He dies on the cross and he goes into a dark grave for three days, and nothing but darkness in that grave. But then Easter morning, he is risen. <laughs> You're allowed to say it at Christmas time too. Right? There's always a glimmer of light. God does some of his best work in your darkest days. Genesis 3? Uh, go to Exodus 3. There's a guy named Moses, and he's living on the backside of the desert, thinking that he's just going to cruise into death because God illuminated and he isolated 
God gave him a passion to free his people, but then he tried to do it his way and he killed a guy. People didn't like that. So in fear, he runs and God's doing a developmental work. And then how does he speak to him? Burning bush. Even in your darkest days, there's glimmers of light. In January, we're going to go into a series in Judges. Uh, everyone did what was right in their own eyes in the book of Judges. Sound familiar? <laughs> there's a cycle in Judges uh, that gets really dark and people do their own thing for 20 years or 80 years, depends on how rebellious those people are. And God lets bad stuff happen. And then they cry out to him and he sends a deliverer. Even in the darkest days, there's a deliverer. Or you read the Kings, it's the same stuff, same theme. Bad king, dark days, turn from God, gets bad. But then there'll be a good king periodically, like this guy named Josiah. Reads the Bible. We haven't been doing this. We got to do this. Tells one of his people. I don't know why he doesn't do it, but he tells the people, well, you read the Bible to all the people. And they're like, we haven't been doing this. Whole nation turns back. So I want to ask you this, this Christmas. We'll do the series Illuminate. You'll listen. Maybe you'll learn some things from the Bible you didn't know before. We'll eventually get to Luke chapter 2. You'll drive around the town, see some lights, and exchange gifts, and some of you will send out Christmas cards. The rest of you will be like, oh, I forgot this year, like for the last 10 years. But yeah, okay. And it'll be easy just to cruise into January and make your commitments a diet and all that stuff and, and just go through the motions. My hope is we don't waste this Christmas. So what if, what if we availed ourselves to the light? I don't need to ask you if you're afraid of the dark. We know the dark is dangerous. If you're not a follower of Christ, you should be afraid of the dark. But if you're a follower of Christ, greater is he who's in you and he who's in the world. You don't need to be afraid of the dark. Be aware, it's dangerous. And there is danger and you might get hurt. But are you afraid of the light? Because the Bible says that we run from the light because we don't want to be exposed. What would happen if we availed ourselves and became vulnerable to the light? Think about David. We talked about David knowing the darkness that's so dark that in the light it feels like night. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, remember that story where he sleeps with his friend's wife, then kills his friend? That's sin in almost everybody's book, at least right now. And he's hiding. And then a guy comes to him who could get his head chopped off for confronting David. His name's Nathaniel. And he tells him, like Jesus tells up made up stories. He tells him a made up story. Hey, there's this rich guy. And there's a poor guy. The rich guy steals from the poor guy. And then the poor guy doesn't have anything. But the rich guy would have had all this other stuff. He could have just used the other stuff. He didn't have to take the poor guy. What do you think? David's irate. Nathaniel says, you're the man. That's a key point. Because David could have said, off with his head. Get this fool out of my presence but he didn't. He availed himself to the truth, to the light, allowed it to pierce his heart, and he fell on his face in repentance. And the Psalms say there was, when he was in the darkness, it was like God's hand was heavy on him. What would your life be like if you availed yourself to the light? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You call us to be a city on a hill don't let us run to darkness. Don't let us believe lies. I pray right now you'd be stirring in hearts and minds supernaturally things that I would never guess to pray. You'd enlighten areas of sin in the life of a believer. Those that are in the deepest part of a dark night of the soul, will you show them a glimmer of light? And maybe they're not ready yet. Maybe they're not ready. You're still doing a work. But they would know that's where their freedom is, that's where the forgiveness is, that's where life is, the light of life, your son, Jesus Christ. 
Father, will you stir? Change our world, light it up, and use us. Help us be people like Daniel and Josiah, the judges, that in the midst of a world that's turning and running deeper and darker, that we would stand for you. But it's got to be true in us first before it's true through us. And Father, I pray for anybody that's maybe watching online. I know that my friend James was watching before the service and Paul was watching before the service and people watching in Russia and people watching in, in North Carolina. One of those people might need to trust your son Jesus as Savior or somebody in this room. And what you need to do is just acknowledge your sin before him. We've all sinned. But if your sin hasn't been forgiven by Jesus Christ, you need a Savior. Turn to him to rescue you from the kingdom of darkness to bring you into his, his kingdom of light and then to bring his light into your life and his forgiveness to wash you clean. Because First John does say that if we walk in darkness, we're lying if we pretend like that's not true. But it also says if we confess our sins, which we all have, that he is faithful. Not once you get faithful enough, he is faithful. He is just. He will cleanse you. That's what the light does. You can hide in the darkness. You can fake us all out. God is not faked out, but he wants to cleanse you. And if you need to turn to him as your savior, will you ask for his cleansing right now? Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home and you've known Christian truth, but you've never truly turned your life over to Jesus. Let this be the moment of salvation for you right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.